Hi, this is Zoe Routh, and I work with CEOs and their teams to do the people stuff better. And if you want to get started, I've got a ton of free resources on my website at zoerouth.com, including the People Stuff Toolkit, which has an electronic copy of my third book, Loyalty, which is about how to boost engagement, stop unwanted turnover, and create lifelong advocates. And alongside that come a whole bunch of checklists and templates to get started right now in building the most amazing teams you'll ever experience. So aside from that, the big question we have right now is as leaders, we're being called. We're being called to step up and front up and do some big work. We are in a crisis situation, and now more than ever, we need to be fully at our best. And to be fully at our best, we really need to have a unique voice, a strong and powerful presence that can help us show up and be authentic for the people around us. And when we show up like that, we can have such an amazing positive influence on the people around us, regardless of what's happening. So my guest today is Diana Theodores, and she is an amazing lady with a rich experience in theater, of all things. And she has blended her experience in theater to the business world, and she has created an organization that helps business leaders and teams really step up and create a powerful performance, execution of their role in an authentic and amazing way. She is the director of Theater for Business, and she has written this great book, Performing as You, How to Have an Authentic Impact in Every Role You Play. So I'm delighted to bring her to you. Let's get to it. Diana, it's fantastic to have you here all the way from the UK. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. We were just talking before we hit record about these strange and funny days and how even though we're on other sides of the planet, we're going through similar things in lockdown. I'm curious, though, as we're trying to create a new reality, some of the things that remain consistent are the need for good leadership. And I'm curious about how you define leadership and when did you discover you could do it? <laughs> Great question. Well, I think I have a few examples of what informed my ideas about leadership and really inspired me and shaped my view of leadership. I think starting with grandparents and ancestors. When I think about my grandparents who came to the new world, had such vision and courage and tenacity to kind of make good for the next generation. So really that kind of character is one example that I think really has stayed with me all of my life that made it possible for me to be here. So really empowering and leaving a legacy. So you're, you're in the UK now and your parents left from the UK to the US? Is that, is that, I'm trying to figure out how the accent sort of fits in the picture. No, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a New Yorker. Uh, I'm, okay. I'm American, I'm a New Yorker and I've been transplanted to the UK. I've been here for many, many years. So I'm a, an expat. But the story of grandparents and ancestors is that wonderful one of, you know, coming to the new world, making good in America, as they used to say, and just really observing them now from a distance, you know, back in time and just recognizing all that they did. So where did they arrive from? This is the story I'm a little, I'm just, where were they left? Where did they leave from? My mother's parents were Italian. My father's were Greek. 
And it's just that incredible story. When we think back of our ancestors, really, what made it possible for us to be here today and all that they did with the little they had. So I think that that's one example to me that has really shaped my sense of what leadership is. Sacrifice, having a vision, having the courage to execute it, and having the steadfastness of that tenacity of that hope keeps them alive with that vision. And they want so much to empower and create for the next generation with a great love what would be possible for them. And that, of course, went into the next generation. My own parents, I feel that they also taught me about leadership because they were always so reliable and trustworthy. They supported us, my brother and I, through our failures, through our success, through times of pride, times of shame. They let us be our own people. And again, that to me was a great model of leadership, of leading the family and creating character in us. Another example for me is as a theater director, I think that has taught me a great deal about leadership because when you are directing a production, you are harnessing a vision to a deadline. You are empowering the talent of a group of people. You are bringing together teams of extraordinary talent uh, and you have to leave room and space for people to grow into their best. And then you have to be accountable for the success of the production and the well-being of all of your cast and performers. So that a kind of motivational force, really galvanizing people to keep going, especially when times are very tough in the rehearsal studio, as they often can be. What gets um, tough in a rehearsal studio? Well, um, there can be times when a performer just maybe cannot find that connection to their role they're, it's still eluding them, or it could be, and so they need extra, as it were, extra coaching to really connect to their deepest truth. Or it could be that something disastrous happens. For instance, I remember a time when I was about to do a press night, had the cast come in for the day, and we had the show all ready to go, and we discovered that the studio theater had been completely vandalized, everything destroyed, costumes, sets, I got the cast together and then spent many, many hours through the day and into the night, really getting them to believe that they had the sheer talent to reimagine that production as a kind of poor man's theater and just rely on their powers of naked, raw storytelling. And they did it. We pulled it off. And in fact, the production had an extended run. It was so magical. And for me, that was a moment for my own leadership of really stepping up and galvanizing a group of people into believing what they could do and just keeping their spirits up, their motivation up, and their self-belief completely intact. Um, so that's another example. And things like that happen in theater a lot, not necessarily as dramatic and as extreme as that, but there are always things going on, conditions changing unexpected circumstances, deadlines looming. And so you have to, you know, as they say, it's such a cliche, but the show really must go on. And that is always a space for leadership. The show must go on. 
Yeah, it's certainly the case now, isn't it? Like everything is in Australia. We've had in January we had fires across the entire nation. Then we had floods um, in different places and hailstorms and all sorts of chaos. And now we've had the bloody <laughs> coronavirus pandemic. We just need a plague now to come through. And still, the show must go on. So it's a really great anchoring phrase. That it's kind of sobering, and it's like, and next, <laughs> continue. Yes, yes. And and looking around the world right now with these extreme epic conditions that we're in, I also look to people like Mayor Como in New York City right now, who I think is demonstrating extraordinary leadership in his combination of letting people into his kitchen, literally, in the news networks and, you know, kind of sharing an Italian meal with the people of New York one minute and the next minute being utterly a kind of orator with facts and conviction and and strength. And of course, our own national health teams are being extraordinary leaders. And I think some of our current politicians are doing a brilliant job of uh, keeping us very transparently and honestly informed and also keeping that uh, sense of the, the national psyche just positive and feeling like, you know, we can do this together. So I think there are often in times of extremis, you find all kinds of amazing leaders who step into the spotlight. This intersection of theater and leadership is is not the only example in terms of the show must go on. You, you've made a business out of theater skills in business. Tell me about that. So how did you come to blend the two, the concepts of theater skills and applying them to business leadership? What's that all about? <laughs> well, I think it began literally with my upbringing in New York, so that as, as a kid, I was just so privileged to be able to witness great performances all the time. And those performances, you know, made me just jump up out of my seat in that standing ovation energy and looking around me at audiences feeling so inspired by a great performance. And it just became a burning question for me. What makes great performance? What is it that when we are so inspired as human beings, what does that give us? You know, that feeling of wanting to be more, do more, have more courage, have more confidence, have more motivation, have more belief. So the power of great performance led me to a, a life in the arts. And then that brought me to the world of the business stage because it's such an organic bridge. People in business and in organizational life are always having to consider their performance. How do they perform as they're at their best as leaders? How do they give their best performance to deliver, whether it's their targets or whether they're exercising leadership in terms of the vision for the direction of the organization or getting buy-in for their ideas or their products or selling to clients. Everybody has to communicate inspirationally and to show up with their greatest presence and their truest voices in order to persuade, to influence, and to have impact. So for me, it's a very, very organic bridge from being in the spotlight of theater to being in the spotlight as a business leader. And that got me Interested. And so I built my business on that, really. How do, we, how do teams work together 
collaboratively and effectively and creatively? And how do we speak and take the spotlight and really grow our visibility? All those things that come under the portfolio of theater are absolutely transferable to business. So this is an interesting question that I'm pondering. So theater in my mind is acting and acting is, I've never been an actor, so you can correct me if I've got this all backwards. So acting is pretending and I'm wondering, and, but you said something differently where you, when people were struggling in the practice hall about connecting with their character and finding the authenticity and a connection with that, it's still pretending. So I'm wondering, how is it a paradox? Like you're pretending something and then you're performing. As a leader, how do you get authenticity into your performance? It's, what's the acting piece about it? Or is there, have I, have I missed something in here? Okay, great. That's a really great question. Um, so this is how I think of it anyway. Um, it is true that when you're acting, I wouldn't say you're pretending. I think what you're doing is you are playing a role. And often that role might be a character that could be very, very far away from who you are in your own actual life. But in order to play that role, to play that character, to step into their shoes, you have to find a personal, truthful connection in your own life and in your own self to play that part with any kind of empathy and depth. So that's one way in which I think performance is more playing a role rather than pretending. The other thing is we often hear the expression act as if, and that's exactly what happens when we're in the world of business, when we create a clear intention. So if I'm about to go to a meeting and my team is very, very anxious about a project coming up, I need to act as if to be very reassuring, calming, centered, and balanced. So I have to set my intention for how I'm going to show up at that meeting. And I will engage in that intention setting by acting as if. Act as if I need to challenge or provoke. Act as if I need to inspire and galvanize a large group of people. So you can think about that sense of acting as if uh, in translation is really the question, how do I need to show up here? And if I act as if, then my body, my voice, my energy, even my beliefs all align and I can show up with a much more truthful presence. So for me, that is playing the role of you, but with a lot more skill. That's lovely. And I'm hearing that as one of the, the key principles in powerful presence. Have you got any other tips for listeners on how to live into a powerful presence that you can call on? I mean, acting as if is the, sounds like a trigger function. Is there other things that people can do? Well, I always think that one of the things we must all do before we jump into action or go to that meeting or make that presentation, I always think that our very first environment is our own body. So it's so important to take a moment to get centered and grounded, you know, taking a deep breath, stopping for just a moment to clear yourself 
give yourself a bit of inner space and calm. And then, interestingly, I think you always have to warm yourself up to yourself. It's so important to, uh, in the moment, you can just think of something that you love, something that you feel passionate about. And as soon as you connect to a passion, you notice how animated you become. Your voice changes, your body changes. So get grounded, connect to something you love. Just take a moment to think about something you love, even if it's your favorite poem. Read a couple of lines out loud just to warm yourself up to your own aliveness. And then I think the last thing I always think about in terms of presence is just in a regular way, in an ongoing way, really honor your own life story. Get interested in your life story because that is the gateway to all of your presence. Really understanding, where do I come from? What do I care about? What really matters to me? What are some of my great life experiences that give me wisdom and perspective? And the more you can connect to your own life story in an ongoing way, especially as a leader, the more you have that gravitas just built in. So those are some things I would heartily recommend. <laughs> those are good ones. And what it strikes me as you describe it is how it's a discipline of practice. And you don't just sort of wake up one day and have gravitas and have presence and swan through a room and everybody goes, wow, <laughs> there's actually ritual to it. There's actually intentionality to it. Yeah, there, there is. I mean, you know, of course, you can practice presence by doing those things that I just talked about. Those are just kind of ongoing tools and we become what we practice. But I think there's another idea about presence. That's the presence of you come into a room and you radiate energy and you attract attention and you leave a lingering impact on people. But I think perhaps an even more powerful sense of presence is the quality of engagement that you create with other people. So they go away saying, wow, I had such a fantastic meeting with Zoe. It was so great. She really heard me. She really saw me. She really valued me. And I think that is also presence, really, really creating quality engagement with other people. And people really feel that when you really listen to them and you give them all of your attention. It's quite a remarkable experience. I was just interviewing another leader. He's a military leader, and he shared this story with me about uh, meeting with Andrew Forrest during a crisis uh, in the bushfires in, down in Victoria, not this year, a few years back. And Andrew Forrest was there to help. He's a big mining magnet here in Australia, so a big wig business guy. And he was here in, on the ground talking to people in this community. And the leader I was speaking to said that Andrew Forrest had this ability to do exactly what you described. He'd sit and he'd listen. And he'd look you in the eye and he'd nod appropriately and make noises of encouragement. And when he made a good point, he'd tap you on the arm as saying, yeah, good point, good point. And the leader I spoke to, Nick Jans, said the experience of that is that when you left the briefing tent, because they all just had tents, everything else was burnt down, you felt uplifted, you felt energized, you felt honored, and you felt such a self-esteem boost. And I think that's a really lovely observation that you make that being present to others is a way of having presence and it's a gift to others to uplift them. So that's, uh, that's really lovely, thank you. 
Yes, absolutely. You really do. You elevate others through your presence. Yeah. Yeah. I love that story you just told. <laughs> yeah. It can you just imagine it, right? So somebody with so much positional authority, gifting presence, and we can all do that for each other. We don't need to have positional authority or a huge accolades behind us. We can do that every day. Yes. Uh, that's what I also, I'm not a business leader, but I'm a leadership coach. And so when I work with my clients in the coaching room, that's exactly what I need to practice all the time. It's that deep listening. And that's the kind of daily presence that in practicing that allows other people to dig down deeply into themselves and understand how many resources they have to shine and to give their gifts to the world. But it comes about from that deep listening state, which is, as we've just said, the, the most powerful form of presence that there is, the being present. And from there, I guess, if you're an as a coach, you can then work to elicit your, your unique voice as something that you're passionate about too in the leadership work that you do. So how do you get people to access, qualify, quantify their unique voice? <laughs> well, my coaching sessions are usually face-to-face. -face, so because I work with people physically, I work with their voices, with their bodies, uh, with their energy. So the first thing we always do to access those voices and to access confidence and clarity and energy and inspiration is to play. And that's where theater comes in. We do a lot of playing. We do a lot of improvisation. We do a lot of um, storytelling. We do a lot of just, uh, you know, it could be anything. It could be reading a poem out loud and then transferring the context of the poem into different situations. So they are using the full range of their voice and their intentions. Could be we do some actual physical warm-up exercises, movement, breath, posture work, because when we, when we play, when we physically play, we open our bodies, we open our energy, we become very receptive and agile. So the act of playing empowers us to unlock our creativity and to literally step forth with a much bigger sense of self. We get braver. Playfulness is also, it overrides the think switch. So of course, a lot of business leaders have to be thinking analytically a lot of the time. So this allows you to short circuit the analysis and overthinking switch and just go into action mode. And stepping in and just doing something. So lots of improvisational playing. And then we're totally loosened up. And every single time we do it, the client says, I've surprised and surpassed myself. I didn't know I could do that. So something comes forth that is liberated. And there's where we get to the truest voice. And often people haven't played since they were children. And so we all know that when children play, they have no lack of, I can be anything, do anything, and I'm in the moment. Wow. So they're still answering. And so that's it. We get past the censoring and judgment and we just dive in. I was so was not expecting that, <laughs> that answer. <laughs> I was like expecting a cognitive process about how to find your original voice. To have it be somatic and kinesthetic is, is amazing. 
<laughs> and it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, of course, you're in theater. It is an embodied experience to be who you really are is a physical thing. It's not just a in your head kind of thing. Absolutely. So, and you hit the nail on the head. It is an entirely embodied experience, who we are, who we are in our truest, most authentic self and how we live in our most integrated, holistic way. It is an embodied experience. We're not separated. The me in the outside world and the me in the business world, in my organization, I'm one person with a vast repertoire of experience and physicality and dynamics. And we need to bring all of that together so that you use all of those great assets. I love to think of the Walt Whitman quote about um, where he says, you are vast, you contain multitudes. And yet so often when we go into the doors of an organization on our work life, we tend to damp things down and to go into our kind of default mode and not exercise this extraordinary, magnificent range of energy and dynamic that we possess in our outside life. That's, that's a lovely, lovely poem. I'm wondering, like you sound like you are in love with people. And I'm wondering if you ever get challenged by the people stuff. If I get challenged? Yeah, like do you ever come across in your interactions either with leaders or with actors in any of the roles that you play? Are there some interactions that you find difficult, problematic, irritating? <laughs> um, you know, to be really honest with you, in all of my time, either facilitating leadership programs or coaching teams or coaching individuals, very, very seldom have I experienced what I called armed resistance. You know, someone sitting back in their chair with their arms crossed, looking very cynical or skeptical. And even those people, I, I think I'm pretty good at getting people excited and curious and building trust very quickly. So even the most armed resistant person often ends up very quickly taking their jacket off if it's a man and tearing off the tie and standing up on the chair and doing a bit of Shakespeare within minutes, or I'm agile enough to change tack. So I'm very willing to throw away any script and start with where that person is, which is of course the job of the coach. So we just might start with some really um, trust building dialogue, or we might just start looking at some really interesting questions around what they're presenting in that moment. I think you just need to really love the person you're working with. And I do love people and I'm very curious about their stories, about their beliefs and how they've become who they've become and the journey that they've made. So I think there's nothing like storytelling and sharing stories to break through any barrier or challenge. And if there is a client who absolutely does not respond to coaching at all, sometimes that's because it's not coaching that they actually need. There is maybe more of a therapeutic angle that they need to pursue first if there's something that's really blocking them from wanting to create change in their life. Mm, that's very true. Uh, coaching isn't the right solution for everything. I'm wondering, what is one thing that people don't realize about 
authentic impact. What they don't realize about it. <laughs> I think the one thing most people don't seem to realize is they think that being authentic means being habitually yourself, especially in business. So many people are, you know, they do all the Myers-Briggs and all the psychometrics and they start to think, you know, this is who I authentically am. I don't do that. Or I wouldn't feel like me if I did that. And I'm always trying to get across that being authentically you is not being habitually you. Being authentically you means exercising all the different selves that you possess. And that is what makes you authentic. You have many voices and you need to let them come through and be heard in different contexts. So there's a time for being the Rottweiler. There's a time for being the reassurer and the nurturer. There's a time for being very decisive. There's a time for being consensus driven or collaborative. There's so many different voices that we all possess. And often we just flatten that out into kind of one one type of behavior that becomes just our default, our habitual behavior and voice and dynamic. And once we open that up and realize, gosh, my authentic self is truly vast. It has many, many voices. I do contain multitudes. And the more I can use them, the more authentic I am. I think that I love that paradox too. <laughs> the more different roles you play, the more authentically you you can be. Yeah, it's a definitely a paradox. So you know, in this idea of leadership performance where you can exercise all these different roles and characters, what is one hidden pitfall with this performance that prevents people from succeeding? A pitfall in... It could be in, in performance or how they approach their role. Like, are, what are the pitfalls that people fall into that keep them from being successful in, in being authentic? I think, I think the biggest one is how they think about their audience. Two things I'll often hear. A client will often say to me, I just want to get my presentation over and done with. So that over and done with attitude is one that is not honoring your audience. It's not signaling to your audience, you know, I really want to be here with you. I really see you as individual human beings with your own life stories. And you've all turned up today in this room to share some ideas with me. So that's one pitfall, not having empathy for your audience, but just thinking about yourself in the spotlight. So I teach people about turning the spotlight over their audience instead and being curious and interested in their audience and caring about them. The other one is also to do with audience. It's that sense of kind of like the, the audience is almost the enemy. It's this one big block, the audience or those people. When I go into the boardroom, I have to convince them of this. Or when I speak to this larger audience, I'm just giving out information and I just want them to hear this. I just want to deliver my data. And again, my perspective on that is if you don't invest in your audience, 
really care about them. And if you don't invest in the story that you're telling and really, really show your interest in the story you're telling, why should they be interested in hearing it? So it's never about information. It's never about getting something over and done with. It's about creating an arena for sharing ideas and showing up in all of your humanity. And it's your job to create that environment so that your audience can listen, can be engaged, and see that you care and that you are, in a way, acting like the host of the dinner party. You're taking care of your audience. And once you understand that, so many fears and tensions just disappear and you show up with truly much, much more presence. And you don't have that pitfall anymore because then you can truly say, I actually like it here with you, my audience. Oh, that's fabulous. I love this. It's about creating an arena for sharing ideas. Yeah, that um, puts a whole new picture into the world of communication and persuasion, doesn't it? I love it. That's awesome. So what's, some, what's a, the best piece of advice anyone has given you? It might be around performance. It might be around presence. It might be around leadership. Oh, gosh. Oh, you know, I often read other people answering that question. The best advice. <laughs> <laughs> In a way, I would love to just think about my why my wonderful mother who used to always impeccably groomed in every situation and her advice to me when I was growing up was, you know, make sure that you're, um, you know, you're beautifully put together. Make sure you have your lipstick on make sure, you know, always be ready in yourself. Have that sense of, have that sense of self pride and what she really meant by that and how I've taken that now to mean is step into your costume, the wardrobe that you need to wear to feel at your best, because what you wear, and I mean literally your energy wardrobe, how you step into, whether it's your clothing, your energy, your preparation, it is a way of connecting to your own sense of esteem, of pride, of self-love. And I think that, is so important. I love it. That's beautiful. And when we first got on the call, I'm like, oh, you look so elegant. And it's, I know you've been locked up in shutdown, locked up in shutdown. And I think the temptation to be locked up and shut down is to just let it all go, hang out in your tracky decks and, and um, be not put together, you know, not bother with the hair and makeup because you know it's just going to be an audio recording. But there you are looking magnificent. And I'm wondering, like, do you get up every day in lockup and look magnificent? Well, I don't know if I look magnificent, but I certainly think, I, I certainly notice what happens when the opposite kicks in. So, you know, if I do go for a day or two not getting myself together, I actually notice it impacts on my thinking, on my energy, and just on how I'm feeling. So... The more I put myself together, it just gives me an instant hit of, of discipline and it just puts me into a different mode. I just feel more positive. I feel more energized and I feel sharper. 
And I really, really do believe that. Can you imagine watching a play or a film and every character was wearing just a gray t-shirt? <laughs> that, would be, that would be jail. <laughs> it's great for Mark Zuckerberg, maybe, so that he doesn't have to think about what to wear every day to wear his, you know, his gray t-shirt. But we need to not be in a uniform in that way. We need to actually exercise different kinds of energy. And I think that energy wardrobe is what we need. We do need to step into our costume, our dressing, color, our fabrics, our textures, whatever we want to call it, and put ourselves together for the day and really step into it. It gives us, it shores us up. It's an ally. Yeah, that's lovely. Diana, where can people find out more about you and your work? Well, uh, two ways. One is my book, Performing As You, How to Have Authentic Impact in Every Role You Play. You can get that on Amazon or in any bookstore. And you can also find me on www.theaterforbusiness.com. That's my company. Fantastic. That's wonderful. And all those links will be in the show notes and in the show description. So wherever you're listening to this, you can just scroll down through the show notes and uh, there you will have those links. Diana, thank you so much. That was, you're such an eloquent, elegant speaker and it's a, it was a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you, Zoe. I enjoyed it so much. One of the things I loved most about this interview with Diana was the rich tonality and rhythm of her voice. And of course, I would have thought to expect that, seeing as she's a professional theater performer, but I didn't really anticipate it. And it was such a wonderful thing to experience. And aside from that, one of the key takeaways for me is the whole idea of embodied leadership and how to get access to your Authentic voice is about movement first. That kind of blew me away, actually. <laughs> and it's really sticking with me. It's kind of how to access that inner self is really getting into the movement of and just loosening up and letting it rip and roar. Well, I hope you got something wonderful out of this too. And I look forward to hearing about it. If you want to post something on the Facebook page, that'd be awesome. The link is right in the show notes, right in the description on your device that you're listening to this. In the meantime, live well, lead well.